I'm excited about today. I'm excited to bring this message to you today uh, about the fruit of the Spirit. And, um, but I want to pray before we do, because there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about today that, man, we just need to be open for. You know, we need to be open to receive. And, uh, and you know, I'm just a man up here talking, and I don't really... I don't really want you to hear me talking today and the words that I say, but I want you to hear the voice of God, you know, and what he's trying to speak to you. So let's just pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for what you're going to speak to us. Think, change the way that we process things, even things that have happened in our life. God, I pray that you would help us to see those things through a different light today. And uh, we just honor you. We thank you for your presence that's here with us right now. And again, God, we are open to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 All right. So uh, here's the deal. Knowing what you should do and then what you actually do are two different things, right? Right? There's, there's a lot of times we know what we should do, but it's not really what we do. I'll give you an example. Uh, all of us, to some degree or another, we want to eat healthy, right? I mean, come on. We were just having a conversation in the back a second ago about one, eat healthy, looking at the nutrition facts and everything. I've been recently trying to eat healthier, and uh, it's going okay. It's going okay. Um, but uh, last night, my wife found out that I've been cheating, and uh, <laughs> I'm not much of a cheater. I'm not much of a liar. I'm not a liar at all, but I have been just not saying some things that I've been eating, which has not been the plan. But uh, anyway, you know, like everybody wants to eat healthy, but everybody also wants to eat Oreos. And those two things don't go together well because, you know, how many of you, you, you are, I'm just going to eat two Oreos and then you look down and the whole sleeve's gone, right? It happens. I was watching a movie a few months ago. It was a movie or a game. And literally, I'm like, I'm just like eating, you know, like whatever. And I like went to grab and it was just like, like it was empty. I'm like, gee, wow, okay. You know, because we like Oreos. So we want to eat healthy, but yet there's this thing inside of us. There's this desire for just sugar. You guys know how much sugar we eat? Do you guys, are you guys aware of how much sugar we eat as a nation? Like it's horrible. It's really bad. Recently, um, I was, <laughs> I'm just going to pick on Ariana today, but uh, she went to get a, like a Barks root beer out of our pantry. And I was like, you know how much sugar's in that Barks? And she's like, I don't care, you know? <laughs> and it was one of the many Barks. I went and got like our big, like, uh, what is it? Like a container of sugar. And I went and I measured it out how many grams and I poured it in a little cup. And I said, you see how much sugar? That's just in that. I said, then you're going to eat your Nutella. It's another 27 grams. Nutella's not healthy, by the way. You know, I don't know what it is. We're like, oh, it's Nutella, not chocolate. It's horrible. It's just a ton of sugar. We looked at, it was like the amount of sugar that, that she was intaking in like the, like 30 minute, you know, it was, anyway, it was bad. So, but we want to eat healthy and we don't. And so what is that? Well, we have, we have these, I guess, these concepts, this idealistic way that we want to live life. But then we have these desires on the inside of us, okay? We have appetites that typically are not what we're supposed to do. And when we talk about diet or we talk about some kind of, that's the same exact thing that's going on in our lives when it comes to way more important things. And Paul in the Bible actually talks about this struggle that we have between what we want to do or what we should do, okay, and then what we actually do. And it's really uh, this, this battle between the flesh and the spirit. 
And the flesh is the part of us, it's the human nature, the fallen sinful nature that we have that's, that's been uh, affected by sin. And then there's the spirit. And the spirit refers to the Holy Spirit of God working in the life of a believer. And so we have the spirit that has its desires and then we have the flesh that has its desires. And these are two opposing forces in our lives. And right there already, I think all of us can begin to think of things even in the last couple of days of this tension that we've experienced between the flesh and the spirit. The deal is, is that these two different desires have two different results in our life. They have two different, uh, we have the fruit of the spirit, but we also have what's called the works of the flesh. And Paul lays these out in Galatians uh, chapter five. He says that the works of the flesh produce things like this sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I like how he at the end just says, all the other stuff that looks like these things, they're all works of the flesh, okay? And uh, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when we first read this list, I don't know about you, but a lot of these things, when it comes to lying and I mean, a ton of stuff, we grow accustomed to these things potentially being in our own lives or maybe our family's lives or even in our nation. We just get used to, to kind of seeing the works of the flesh. And what happens is we begin to, uh, uh, it's kind of like getting into really cold water. Eventually you don't realize that it's cold or you're like the frog in the boiling water. You don't realize how hot it's getting, but you really have to back away and realize that these things, uh, when people live habitually in these lifestyles, Paul's warning that you're in danger of not inheriting the kingdom of God, that these are works of the flesh. These are things that come out of the life of a person who's being controlled by, the, by their fleshly desires. And so it's not just something to kind of play patty cake with, right? This is a serious situation. But in contrast to the works of the flesh, uh, he says that the spirit of God produces these things in uh, verse 22 that the Spirit of God produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And he says against such things like these, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires in a person's life as a result of the Holy Spirit's work within them. Okay, now one thing I, I wanna say quickly is when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, I'm not just talking to you about trying really hard to do what we would consider to be good things. Because what we do, we're a very moralistic culture, okay? Uh, we had this uh, merit mindset, which is I do good things, I get good things back. And what happened, although that's true in a lot of cases, okay? When we start there, when it comes to our relationship with God, we can simply fall into what's called works-based Christianity, which is working to be in right standing with God, right? I want to be in a good standing with God, so I'm going to do a lot of good things in order to get to that place. And that is not the starting point in the gospel. The starting point is that you are not righteous, you are not good, okay? You can't try hard enough to do that. Uh, we must rely on Jesus. And so we're going to get to that today. But uh, today, in regards to fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that I want to speak to you about is goodness. Goodness. All right. Now, when it comes to goodness, 
don't you all want to be considered a good person? Come on, y'all, right? You ask anybody, like, man, at your funeral, like when people speak about you, what do you want them to say? Man, I just want to, I want people to say that I'm a good person, right? We had this, this whole idea about, about being good and not harming someone. I know nowadays, young people, that's the biggest thing. Do whatever you want to do as long as you don't hurt anyone else, it's okay. There's this whole mindset of just do good things. Be a good person person. And anytime that I hear somebody talk about being a good person, I always have this next thought, which is good based upon what? Good based upon whose standard of what is good? Like, what does that even mean nowadays? You know what I'm saying? Be a good person. Like, it depends what culture you're in uh, as far as what's good or bad. I I talk a lot about... um, you know, people say all the time, man, things are getting worse. Things are getting so bad nowadays. And I'm like, based upon which century are you talking about? <laughs> you know? I mean, you go back in like the Viking days. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever watched any like Viking shows, you know, but they were horrible human beings. They did horrible things, you know? And, and, and we're like, oh, you know, man, back in the good old days. I don't know what you're talking about, man. It was a bad old days, you know, pillaging and all this crazy stuff. But guess what? In their culture, it was considered good and acceptable to pillage villages, right? It was considered good. So we, you know, it it changes from culture to culture, uh, culture, what is good or what is not. And a lot of times whenever we say good, for us, we're strictly talking about actions, doing good things, doing good deeds, good actions. And, 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 you know, we, we buy a dog and we train the dog to do what we want the dog to do. And whenever it does the things that we want it, bad boy, we say what? Good boy. Give it a little treat, you know, and then it does something we don't. You know, you know, and then whenever you come home and your dog got into the trash, like you know that they got into the trash because as soon as you walk in, they're just like, You know, they do the whole like curl over thing, you know, our dog's getting really old and she's got some sort of hip thing going on. She can't do that anymore. So she just lays down all the time. But anyway, uh, back when she was younger, she used to do that. She can't even get in the trash anymore. Anyway, it's, it's kind of sad. Um, <laughs> it's a sad situation right now. She's on some sort of like arthritis medicine or something, I think. Pain meds. Our dog's on pain meds. What a time to be alive, <laughs> Right. Whenever the animals that live in our homes, we have, they're like on a regiment. No? Okay. Some of you guys don't think that's funny. It's because you're paying $1,000 a month on pain meds for your dog, huh? That's what's going on. I know. I know. Um, But we say good boy, bad boy, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the thing is that people arbitrarily, we kind of deem some things good and some things bad. And again, it changes from culture to culture and even generation to generation. I mean, I, I'll just, I'll just kind of go there a month and, and uh, you know, I'm not going to go too deep into it. You guys know you're watching the same things I'm watching. And the conversation that's happening in the last couple of years when it comes to months like June, it, it's so extreme. It's not the same conversations that were going on 20 years ago. You know, it's, it's, it's a completely different thing that's happening. And, uh, and so it becomes political and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, but but what, what's going on is it, a couple of generations ago, some things were considered bad right? And, and now here we are in this generation and it's considered good. 
in like a matter of 40 years, you have a completely, like a, a, a giant change of the definition of what a certain lifestyle is and then whether it's good or bad, whether it's good for society or bad for society. And if you don't think that it's good nowadays, then you're bad. See what I'm saying? So good and bad, it changes generation to generation, uh, uh, topic to topic, but culture to culture. You go to a certain place in the world right now, something may be considered good, and it's not good in America, and vice versa. And so, again, we have this floating point of what is good or bad, this floating standard. And so whenever we say the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is, is goodness, what are we talking about? Are we talking about good actions? And I'm going to argue that we're not. I'm going to argue that goodness isn't merely actions, but it's the substance or the essence from which actions flow. There's a deeper, don't like that type of conversation. There's something deeper going on. But this question of where does goodness come from has, this question's been around for a really long time, right? Basically forever. Philosophers, theologians have argued and people talk about what's the, what's the point of goodness? What's the origin of goodness? And it's something that Jesus also dealt with. Uh, in, in the book of Luke, chapter 18, it says that a, a a ruler came to Jesus, a rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and he asked him a question. Now, again, you got you to picture what's going on. Crowd of people, a lot of people would come up and just ask Jesus questions. Sometimes they were asking him questions to trap him. So he might say the wrong thing, okay? And, uh, and other people would come up and they had a lot of like religious you know, clout. And so this guy kind of comes up with some religious clout. He later on says that he's, he's done all the good things. He's, he's done all the commandments. He's following all the commandments. And so he comes, you know, I kind of think with a little bit of like his chest kind of bowed out a little bit. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And like Jesus does, sometimes he doesn't answer their question, <laughs> right? They ask one question and he's like, well, I'm gonna talk about what you're really talking about. I'm gonna go at the heart of what you're really talking about. And he says this, why do you call me good? He picks up on good teacher. Why do you call me good? He said, no one is good except God alone. Now, whenever he said good, uh, it, it, this meant something in their culture. It, it meant more than just good actions or bad actions. What this man is speaking about is something more about the fact that he's calling Jesus God because God is good, right? And so this guy, when he says good teacher, Jesus is like, are you calling me good because you just like my teachings or are you calling me good like God? Which if you know the story of the Bible, which what's going on in this culture, Jesus is coming on the scene and he's claiming to be God. He's claiming that God is his father, Right, that he has the same authority as God the Father. And so this was a big point of, of contention here. And so whenever this man says that, he calls him on the carpet. He says, what are you talking about? What? And that's kind of what, what I'm kind of trying to bring up today is whenever we say the word good, what are we talking about? Because in our culture, there needs to be clarity around this word. Are we talking about righteousness and goodness in regards to God? Or are we talking about this, again, the floating point of what is good or bad? What do you mean by good? This ruler was either saying Jesus was God in substance and in essence, or that Jesus did, just did good things, right? People 
you know, forward on Instagram and Facebook because they like their one-minute clips. You know what I'm talking about? Like, ooh, do you guys ever listen to so-and-so? I really like him. He's a good teacher. You know, like, like it happens a lot in churches. This tr- it happens in every single church. Um, you, you got the pastor who, who gets up and he teaches, and you got the people who show up, and, and uh, it's always funny every now and then, you know, you got somebody that comes up and they're like, that was amazing. That was the best teacher. You're the best teacher I've ever heard in my life. This is my home. I'm going to stay here forever. This is my church. And then like three weeks later, that same pastor that was so awesome says something that they don't like anymore. And then you see him checking on Facebook at another church. But, you know, it's, it's kind of the same thing would happen with Jesus. Y'all, seriously, he would be teaching and people would be following him. And then he would say a hard saying. He would have a hard teaching. And those same people that were just, just enthralled with who he was, now they hated him and wanted to kill him. You know, and so again, either, either Jesus here is God and he is good in essence and in substance of who he is, or he's just another good teacher that we, you know, forward on Instagram one day and then we mock the next, right? And so what Jesus does here is he clarifies and he establishes here that goodness comes from God because he alone is good. And when I say this, I'm not saying that God is good because of his actions, I'm not saying that, 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 see, what happens is this. If people considered God to be good because what they deem his actions to be are good, that they like them, then whenever those actions that they deem to be God's actions aren't good, then God is no longer good. Again, we become the judge, the standard for what God's actions are and then whether those actions are good or not. And that's a thin argument. That's a thin conversation. It must be deeper. So when we say that God is good, we're talking about who he is, his, who he is essentially. I want to read this statement from Stephen Charnock. He's a, he's a theologian from the 1600s, and he's talking about this goodness, right? He says this, this is the true and genuine character of God. He is good. He is goodness, good in himself, good in his essence, good in the highest degree. God is, I love the saying right here, God is originally good. All created goodness is a rivulet, which is basically a small stream from this fountain. But divine goodness hath no spring. God depends upon no other for his goodness. He hath it in and of himself. Man hath no goodness from him. He is good. And you cannot separate God's goodness from who he is any more than you can separate his justice or his mercy or his faithfulness. These come from God because it is who he is. It's like water. Water is H2O, right? Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. And here's the deal. If you take away oxygen or hydrogen, you no longer have water. It's an essential element of what water is because, I mean, that's literally what it is. And it's the same thing with all of these elements that we're talking about. This is a, this is a huge theological point. What I'm talking about right now is, is one of the main issues that people have when it comes to trusting in God. Because if I cannot trust in the character of God, then I cannot trust in him at all, right? If I cannot trust that God 
is good, then I cannot trust his plan for my life. I cannot entrust my soul to him. I, I, right? Have you ever been in a really bad relationship with somebody before? Maybe you did trust them and then they broke that trust. And, and you know what you felt with that person that you always had that thing in the back of your mind about what they're doing or who they're with or, or whether they're telling you the truth. You know that hesitation? That's what many people have with God. What, what is that? That is someone who you can no longer trust. And what happens, people cannot trust God because they do not know if he's actually good or not. So we sing songs, right? Like we, we've even sang today. Like, God, you're so good, or we love you, or you love us, or you're faithful, or whatever the case is. And there's a lot of people that they struggle with that because they struggle with whether God is good or not. I was in a conversation a few weeks ago with somebody, and this was, this was the conversation. It's like, if God is so good, then why do I see a whole lot of bad things happen? I'm sure all of you have either thought that a thousand times, right? Or you've talked to someone that they could not trust in this religion, right? They couldn't, couldn't go all in because of this question. And in one sense, you, know, you do need to know that that question is always going to remain to a certain degree because there's certain things that we just can't understand. I'm not gonna be fake and stand up here and say that I never have questions about the things that go on in our world. But here's the deal. I trust in God's goodness and his faithfulness above my own fears and my own misunderstandings and confusion about this life. I elevate God's wisdom above my own. I elevate who he is above my ability to understand who he is. And therefore in that I can submit I can surrender. I can relinquish my need to know and know that he knows, right? Because he is God, he is Lord, I am not. I trust in his character. I trust in his goodness. And that's a big hurdle. And I'm not gonna say that one day I just all of a sudden was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna believe that way. Watching people close. No, I went through situations in my own life. I went through situations watching you know what I'm saying? This is not good. And, and how is anything good? It's a big battle. But today, I, I want you first off to realize that that question you're having is a very important theological question that you must wrestle with and you must seek God with and you must have conversations with if you're struggling with that. But Jesus says that God is good. Goodness comes from God because he is good. And I will say this, I believe that we have the capacity to reflect this godly characteristic, this goodness in our lives because we are made in the image of God. And I believe that the more we're connected to God, the more we will reflect his character like a stream is fed by a fountain, as Stephen Charnock put it. I believe that we have the ability to reflect God's goodness in our life. And that's what the fruit of the spirit is. It's us uh, reflecting who God is right? As we're filled with who he is, we begin to reflect who he is. That, and that's natural in many parts of our life. The, the deal is, is that for many people, um, when we talk about God being the source of goodness, they begin to seek goodness in and of themselves. And so therefore they begin to think that they are good in and of themselves. And that's where I would argue that we are not good in and of ourselves because we are born in sin. Right? Isn't it amazing that like every sermon, eventually at some point, we got to talk about the sin problem. 
You know, I don't know if you guys ever realize that. Or do you ever, whenever the pastor brings up sin, do you just kind of go like, oh, here's the sin segment. Here we go again. You know what I'm saying? But why do we do that? Because sin has perverted and is destroying every part of our life. It really is. It's, it's destroying us individually, but it destroys even things like, like the, the essential elements of, of the way that we live our lives and the things that we encounter. And so we, we have this ability, this capacity to reflect goodness, but we have this sin issue that blocks that ability to be good, right? And to do good things. And the reason is, is that it's because sin is misalignment with God in being and then in actions and thoughts, okay? And so it starts off that sin has broken us at a core level in our being, which being speaks to, to what we are. You ever heard the, the verse that uh, a person who, well, that's speaking to being, who you are has become something new. Because if you're in your old man, then you can only expect sinful thoughts and actions, right? But if you're walking in the new man, then you have righteous actions and thoughts that begin to come out of your life, the fruit of your life. So sin is misalignment with God in who we are. And then you guys know that who we are eventually is how we think, right? So it's, then it's in our thoughts. And then how we think is eventually how we're going to live. Our thoughts eventually play out in our actions. And so we do and we think sinfully because we are sinful, now, don't raise your hand, but right now, can, can you actually admit that? Or are you a person that can actually say and believe that in and of yourself, that you are born in sin, that you're a sinful person? Some people struggle with that because they believe that they are innately good. Like, I'm, I'm good. And they believe that, that their environment has corrupted them, right? Like, like I was born uh, just an innocent, sweet little baby. And I, I mean, how can a baby be sinful? But if you've had kids and if they've reached the age of about 18 months, then you know very easily that kids are beautiful, but they're horrible at the same time. They're the most selfish beings on the planet, you know? They really are. Now, I would say this. I would say that even adults are extremely selfish. We just don't cry as much, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Unless we get hangry. When I get hangry, I am not a nice person to be around. You know, that's why I, bought a little, I brought a little protein bar for me to have after this first service. So, um, but what is that? It's because sin is deep down inside of us. And so left to ourselves, naturally, that is the works of the flesh that we just talked about. That's the work of the flesh. Let me tell you what's going on in our world right now. People are trying to change politics, they're trying to change people, but with this environment, like to try to, like if we just put more rules and regulations on people, or if we just speak really positive or whatever the case is, that it's going to change the nature of humans in order to have a better society. And I want to let you know that that's never happened in the history of the world. And it's never going to happen because you can't take away that sinful nature through external rules and, and confinement and, and behavioral modification. That's not the hope of this world. The hope of the world is a changed condition, which is something that can only come through faith in Jesus, right? That's what we believe. And so we're not shocked as Christians whenever the world is falling apart. We're not shocked whenever, you know, the... the things go bad when people do bad things. It's not shocking. It's actually expected. It still grieves us as Christians, but we understand what's going on at a deeper 
level. And first John, he said this, if we say that we have no sin, we actually deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if you struggle to say that you're bad in and of yourself, if you struggle to say that, 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 that you have sin in you, the Bible says that you're deceiving yourself. Have you ever done something wrong? Maybe you hurt somebody and, and then you immediately regretted it. And so then you kind of tried to do the whole thing of like, I know I did that, but that's not me. And there, you know, maybe you're the person on the other side that you have somebody telling that, they're telling that to you. And you're just like, no, that was you. I watched you do that. You said that to my face. Like, no, that is you. What is that? that? That's somebody trying to justify their actions in order to like try to make themselves not feel as bad for doing a bad thing. And people will take that and run that out and they'll even talk about that, their, their soul in that way. I'm really not a bad person. And I just think that, man... I think that we sh should be able today, especially Christians who, who understand the gospel, to be able to say, no, no, that's not, that was not the starting point. The starting point was not me being good. The starting point was me being apart from Christ. But again, people struggle with this. And uh, I think that Paul even sort of expresses this to us in Romans whenever he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, these verses right here, y'all, man, this is where I feel like Paul actually understands us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He says this, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Anybody with me on that? Has anybody ever felt that? Y'all make me feel better about raising your hand. Please, come on, come on, please, somebody. <laughs> It's like uh, my dad, his, his testimony is um, um, he got saved whenever he was 27. And he, he talks about how before that he used to get up and he'd sit on the edge of his bed and he'd be like, today I'm going to be good. I'm going to be good. I'm going to be nice to people. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to go to work. I'm going I'm to be nice to people. Today I'm going to be good. And then he'd get up and get in his car and then, you know, his plan would fall apart. You know, he's, he's the same guy as he was the day before, right? Why? Because he was the same person getting up. He was getting up in his own power and his own ability, trying to just be nice to people. But then that first person pulls out in front of you in traffic and, and it's like, there's the old man. There he is. The old sinful nature just staring you in the eyes. You know, for what I want to do, I can't do. I don't have the ability to carry it out. And this is a problem that we all have that keeps us from doing good things. And today I'm a little bit sarcastic when I talk about doing good things because here it being I'm doing good things. It's being a good person, but not in the way that the world says it, but in the way that God says it, which is good, righteous. The fruit of the spirit is righteous living. And I say righteous because a person who is surrendered to Christ, their good actions are worshipful actions to God. That's the difference between a person who's far from God and their good actions and a person who knows God and their good actions. Our life as Christians, as believers, becomes an offering of worship. I think we just sang it in a song a second ago about being an offering. Our lives are an offering to God, a pleasing aroma. So those good actions that people have apart from Christ are just good, it's just good morality. 
It's not righteous. And so what we're talking about is being a righteous person, a good person. How do we, how can we be good like God? I'm talking really good. I'm talking righteous. How can we actually be good? Paul tells us two different ways to do this. He says, number one, that we as believers, we must be filled with the same spirit as God for his goodness to flow out of us. The first step in being filled with the Spirit of God is to know God, is to be born again. And, I, you know, if you've been around church, you've definitely heard this a lot, that you must be born again. You must be a new creation because you cannot be an old creation, an old creature, okay, and be filled with the Spirit of God. It is something that you must be alive in Christ to be filled with the Spirit of Christ, but you must be filled with the spirit of God. And whenever we talk about that, I think you need to know that you can be filled with different spirits. And, and right now I'm not really going down the demonic conversation, although that's, there's something to be said about that. We could talk about being you know, demon possessed and things, and that's, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. What I mean when I talk about being filled with the spirit is you can be filled with the spirit of the world. You can be filled with the mindset of the world. You can be filled with a lot of things. And a lot of time that comes through what we expose ourselves to, what we open up ourselves to, who we open up our lives to. We, we, we can be filled with their mindset. We can be filled with that. Man, a second ago, we talked about sensuality. It's hard to put your finger on what is sensual or not, right? It's, 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 it's nuanced. And so we can be filled with different ways of thinking or different ways of living that are contrary to the spirit of God. We're like cups, y'all. We're filled with uh, some sort of, you know, whether, I mean, we're filled with something, and, and we, we can house the presence of God, we can house the spirit of God, or we can house different spirits. And so when it comes to this, we must keep in step with the spirit, which is the next thing. He says, we must also keep in step with the spirit. And this is where we come in a lot right here, y'all, by co-laboring with the Holy Spirit of God to win the battle over flesh through self-control. Self-control. Self-discipline, y'all. Um, I know that for a lot of us, what we really want is we want the parts of us that desire to do those bad things, we want that to just go away to where all that we desire to do and that we have the ability to do is just good things, right? I prayed with a guy years ago and he was struggling with some stuff and, and he said, I, I said, man, what do you want me to pray with you about? He said, would you pray that God would take away the desire for all of this? And I was like, I mean, like, what do you mean? Like literally take away completely? He's like, yeah, yeah, I just don't want to deal with. I'm like, man, I, I think you need to understand that you're still going to have the desires to do these things because we are in a body that has certain desires, right? right? And so it's like your, your spirit, man, is saved, but your flesh is not. <laughs> you're for yous, but this body still wants Oreos, man. You know what I'm talking about? I'm addicted to Oreo. I want the sugar. That's what happens. Sometimes people, their hearts get changed and their desires start changing, but their body still desires certain things. And I said, man, there's this, this phrase in the Bible. It says it's, it's self-control. 
And I said, there's a lot that we have to, that we have to co-labor with the Spirit of God in our life. And, and this, is, this is for us. So we can be filled with the Spirit, but we also must, what the Bible talks about is crucify the flesh. Now, I'm not talking about literally crucifying, you know what I'm saying, getting up on the cross and crucifying. That's, some people have done that. It's weird. But what I'm talking about is what Paul talks about is mortifying the deeds of the flesh, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, not living and serving those desires, living life as if you were dead to those desires, minimizing those, their, their influence on your life, changing the way, the environment that you live in in order to help you to live righteously before God. But he says, keep in step with the spirit, which is really obedience. Keeping in step with the spirit is obedience. So you must be filled with the spirit, but you almost also must, must respond to the spirit. How many of you in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, have ever felt the conviction of God, right? You, you were like, man, God's really convicting me that this is right or wrong. And you disregarded that flesh, right? All of us at some point have done that. That is an example of not keeping in step with the spirit. So whenever you read this phrase, Take that moment, that was, that's an example in your life whenever you did not keep in step with the Spirit, and now you're out of sync. But what happens is for a lot of people, they live in a pattern of always being out of sync with the Spirit, not, not responding to the Word of God, not responding to, to maybe somebody who loves them and, and, and corrects them, right? Maybe like a, I don't know, a pastor or a spiritual leader or somebody in their life that says, hey, I'm seeing this in you and I wanna warn you. Kind of like Paul warns the church here. He's like, I wanna warn you. And then they're like, eh. And they disregard that. And here's what happens. Eventually the spirit stops speaking. The spirit, the Holy Spirit will stop speaking to you. And so that's what happens with some people is they say, man, I just, I'm not convicted by that. I'm not convicted about that. And it's like, well, were you ever convicted about that? Oh, yeah, so at some point I, I kind of, but you know what? It's just I realized it's not that big of a deal. Could it not be that, but it could be that you have seared your conscience in regards to hearing the voice of God in your life, and now you feel justified, but really you're just a hypocrite? Could it be, could it be that? Right? Because... This is what it says in, in Galatia, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter four. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You can grieve the Holy Spirit in your life. I know that I have before. I've been in seasons of life where I just felt like I was good, good to go. Some things that the Holy Spirit used to convict me about, quit listening, just whatever. And all of a sudden I, I start doing something or thinking a certain way and there's no conviction. What is that? Well, what do you do with your kids whenever they won't listen and they get older? What do you eventually do? Hey, all right, go live your life. Go live your life. Somebody in my family, when they were 16 years old, they were just bucking up against their parent, their parents, just wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen. And finally, uh, the dad one time, he said, all right, that's cool. You want to do your thing? He said, let's pray. And he basically commended them to the grace of God and said, I mean, he prayed a prayer and said, now amazing decisions are on you. Go do your thing. It's amazing how much that responsibility changed them over the next few months, right? And sometimes that's what happens in our life. The Holy Spirit's trying to guide us, trying to guide us, trying to guard us from, from different things. 
And we're like, we got it, we got it, we got it. And then we roll out, we start doing our own thing. And uh, if people are honest, many times whenever they begin to do that, there's a sense of freedom, a sense of freedom, but it's really just slavery to sin. And when we keep in step with the Spirit, we respond to the Holy Spirit in these things in our life. And so we want to continue to respond to the Spirit. So, so how can we be good like God? Number one, we must be filled with the Spirit. Number two, we must keep in step with the Spirit in the way that we live our lives. And this all, this process all starts with what I mentioned earlier, which is and surrendering to his character, trusting in him. And, the, and, and Jesus says in John 3 that, that we are born again, not of flesh, but of the Spirit that our, our spirit man is revived, we come alive, and, uh, and we're beginning a relationship with God. And so everything that I've talked about today in regards to actions and all these things, it all goes back to your, your condition and whether you know God or not. And, and here's the deal. I believe every single one of you in this place, you know where you're at in that process, you, on, on that spectrum. You know whether you know God or don't. Some of the things I said, as I'm talking about keeping in step with the spirit, you know, you know. Right, And so you're not listening to me right now. I, you're, you're listening to what is God speaking to you about where you're at in your life. And then what we wanna do for the rest of the time that we have in this service is respond to that. So go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. And just the reason we do that is just so you could focus your attention on Jesus and what he's speaking to you. God, we open up our hearts to you right now. Lord, I pray for each person here God, for those who are far from you, Lord, I pray that right now that you would begin to show yourself to them, your grace, your love, your compassion, your goodness, your faithfulness. That you truly love us. That you showed your love for us through the cross. And God, you, you, you give us a, an opportunity to respond in faith to your sacrifice. Right now, if that's you and you know you're far from God and you wanna follow him, just say your own prayer of surrender. Say, God, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I surrender my will to yours. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the cross. I thank you for your sacrifice for me. God, I pray for those in the room right now who are struggling to see you as good, who are struggling to, to trust in who you are. And God, I pray that right now you begin to soften their hearts, change their perspective for information, books, apologetics, God, Lord, uh, scriptures, that Father, you would begin to work and help them to see who you really are, not the way that the world tries to frame up who you are, but who you truly are. God, I pray for all of us that we would be, that we would be filled with who you are continuously, Jesus. God, as we read your word, as we pray, as we worship, as we spend time with other believers, God, that you would help us to be filled with your essence, God, to be filled with your spirit, and God, as you fill us, that it would begin to flush out the things in our life that are not of you. We surrender to who you are, God. And we thank you for your goodness, that you are good. 
that we have the capacity to reflect your character. And God, I pray that today as we leave in just a moment, Lord, that you would help us to go and reflect who you are to others, to be empowered by your spirit, to live righteously before men, that they would see our good works and God, that they would give you honor and glory and believe in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.